so I think we're actually record. Oh, I think we're recording. I can't tell. Normally, it just does a countdown, but it's not doing a countdown. So, welcome everybody. It's uh, my name is Dan Taylor, and we are past our summer hiatus and into the the back to school New Year reunion. We've got the whole gang of moderators on here. We've got some great speakers today. Um, I am the economic development officer for, or, or actually, I'm an economic development catalyst for the town of Innisfil, and I'm also a strategic advisor and guide to those in the profession, help people with strat plans, cut through the clutter, and increase. This is Bob Minhas, and I work with communities to help them build business-ready ecosystems for their main streets. And I'm the co-host today with uh, Dan Taylor, as well as Lara Fritz, who I'm going to ask to introduce herself in a moment. But I wanted to get us started by setting up the room here really quick. Um, for those that are new to the room, you are in the Economic Development EcDev Network Clubhouse community. We have weekly sessions on Wednesdays and Fridays where we talk about all things interesting for economic development officers, things that uh, can help uh, boost the uh, things in our community, et cetera. And today is no different. Lee is gonna be our featured speaker talking about, is your community investment ready? So I'm really, really excited to hear that topic as well. Now, again, for those that are new to the and myself and Lara love to uh, share what's being shared here today as a podcast so that people can download if they can't make uh, the room live here on Wednesdays. So just be aware of that. For those that uh, haven't done so yet or are in the audience, you'll see two key buttons. Number one, you'll see a hand button on the bottom. And uh, if you click that, that's a hand raise button. That'll allow myself, Lara or Dan to bring you on stage and invite you to ask a question, share in the conversation, etc. That's really key because whether we have a featured speaker or not, we really want to facilitate conversation. We're not really looking to have just one person lead the whole room. So <clears throat> hopefully we can we can get that going. The other important uh, icon you'll see on the bottom of your screen is the plus sign. That's called a ping button. So if you think there are people in your network that could benefit from the discussion that we're having today, workers, colleagues, maybe your old babysitter from the 80s, whatever you think it might be, please hit that ping button, please invite them. We love, we love creating a room full of conversation here as well. For our friends who have joined us on stage, just a heads up, when we bring you from the state, from the audience to the stage, your mic does go live, so you wanna hit mute right away. And usually if you're sharing something or if you wanna share something, you can give myself or Lara a heads up by slowly turning your microphone on and off. And when you do that, it's called popcorn style. It lets us know to make sure that we throw the mic or throw it over to you to introduce yourself. And when you're done, feel free to then say, just as I think Lara does as always. And when you're done, try and remember to sort of sign off. So our favorite sign off is to say, hey, uh, I'm Bob and I'm done speaking. It's super helpful so that other people know what they can interject. And it's a really, really cool tool uh, for accessibility because some people listen to us on accessible platforms as well. So that's how I, while I wanted to share to get us started, I want to throw it over to Lara to introduce herself. And then Lara, if you can hand it over to Lee so that we can get started. Would love to. Thanks so much, Bob. I'm Lara Fritz and I assist communities in achieving vitality as well as supporting women and BIPOC entrepreneurs um, by providing customized training to them. Uh, it is such a pleasure to be here. I love seeing our gang back together and really excited to talk about community readiness and how do you prepare for a project and who better to lead that conversation than our friend Lee Mallow. So Lee, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Laura Fritz and I'm done speaking. Good day, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Lee Mallow and I've worked in economic development for 25 plus years. Seems like yesterday, but <laughs> it passes by so quickly. And uh, I'm really happy to talk about one of the most fundamental things to our communities that sometimes we don't think about in quite this way when we're doing economic development is how ready is our community for investment? And um, I'm delighted to be able to have this conversation with all these experts in the room and share some of 
these ideas and um, and talk a little bit about what is there a structure to being investment ready? Are there things that we should be thinking about specifically? I think a lot of us do this inherently, um, but what does it even mean to be investment ready? Um, I'd love to go around the room and ask anybody else here if they have their own kind of summary or definition of what investment readiness means. Um, I'll start and I'll just talk very briefly about, you know, some of the fundamentals. And um, so one of them, of course, is, pardon me, um, having some tools in place and some key tools that we all usually live with um, and that leads our actions and activities every single day, like, you know, asking yourself questions around planning and preparedness. So there's kind of three sections of, you know, uh, like a readiness checklist that you would use to think about how ready am I. The first one is around planning and preparedness. So things like, you know, does your community or region have a current economic development strategy? Um, uh, do you have a common vision for economic development and investment attraction? And as we all know, we, we know examples or have lived examples of what it means when you don't have that community vision for it. Um, uh, do you have an investment promotion attraction plan? Um, uh, Do you have a digital information strategy? And some of those tools that we've been talking about um, in these clubhouse discussions. Um, So I'd love to go around the room and ask anybody else if they would like to talk about what investment readiness means for their community. Uh, Lee, I'm I'm happy to to kick it off or to take the baton. yeah, and I love what you said. In fact, uh, you you probably took a slightly more strategic approach. Not that I'm not strategic, but that, than I do. So I'll share kind of a few of my thoughts. One of the first things that I look at uh, is I look at the community and its assets. So what is its business makeup if we're talking economic development, right? So its geographic position, what are the markets around it? What are the clusters or sectors of businesses? Um, Ideally understanding uh, the labor force. And then um, uh, I like to do management by walking around and actually talking to people in the community and getting a sense, which really sets up to a lot of what you were talking about was do they have a strategy, et cetera. Uh, why don't I uh, pause there? Uh, comments are welcome, or maybe just people will add on. I'm Dan, and I'm done speaking. Thanks, Dan. Uh, that's a really important one, and it's sort of it. It certainly aligns with the whole discipline of economic development, which is around that business retention, expansion, and attraction. And it should be a good division of about fifty-fifty in terms of your efforts and where you focus them depending on your community makeup. So just getting out there and spending time with your businesses and your community leaders is a big part of that. And, you know, I I have learned over the years that it is so important to have that two-way exchange of information because as an economic development professional, we're often bringing new ideas and new ways of doing things to a community. And communities often, um, you know, being made up of human beings, we tend to resist change. And so it's a gradual process of that whole investment readiness. And part of it is that psychological readiness around uh, making sure people um, have an understanding of why it's important to welcome investment and new development into your community. And that's not always easy to do. Um, And so uh, some Sometimes that means doing those community processes and that leads to, you know, that checklist of do you have an economic development plan? Did that development of that plan include a lot of that consultation with your community leaders? Does your plan have its champion?
clients who, you know, if you get resistance to that investment, that you can go to those champions and those validators to be able to speak for you on that. Does is there anybody else in the room where this resonates? Is going out there and get those commun- getting those community champions who can speak for you? Because sometimes as civil servants, it's a little hard uh, to do that, and having somebody else do it for you is very powerful. Lee, I want to I want to really tag on to that. I think you're absolutely right. I think having champions and stakeholders is key. I use this example all the time and it's corny, but you know, the world wasn't saved by one superhero. It was the Avengers. But uh, what I want to ask and maybe put to the room before we continue, if you don't mind, is um, one of the struggles I've often found when looking for community champions is how do you manage agendas? How do you sort of dis- you know distinguish uh, champions who are really on board with the vision? or perhaps have their own agenda. Have you have you come across that, Lee? Is it too early to ask that question? What, what you... No, that's such a great question. Um, you're always going to have that. And, you know, finding your champions is finding those whose agendas align with, with, with yours or your vision of the community. And um, that's the most important piece. But sometimes it's not always the easiest thing to kind of figure out what those agendas are because people are not always clear about it. Um, and uh, if the agenda is in conflict with the direction that you're going, sometimes that's because people have fear, that fear of change and that fear of, I don't want my community to change and you are a symbol of that change. Therefore, I'm just going to resist everything you do. So sometimes I'll spend even more time with that person or that group that has those fears and concerns and try and work through them. And sometimes you just can't. Um, I've had occasions where I'm doing projects and you just know full well you have to leave people behind and just keep moving forward and making progress. Um, So, And it's a tough one because if you're conscientious in what you do, you want to make sure everybody's comfortable with the direction and sometimes that's something you just have to let go of and continue to make that progress as long as you know that it's the right thing to do and that you've got the majority of the community along with you but at the same time you know um, it's important to put some of those tools in place that you need in order to do this well and we're talking about those tools where uh, particularly related to investment readiness because investment readiness equals investment attraction and when i'm doing presentations i often have a slide that actually says that investment readiness equals investment attraction and success and it's a it's a critical part of that sales funnel where you get out there and you want to sell what you have you have a value proposition which is part of your toolbox and i'd love to talk about what's in everybody else's toolbox um around um you know getting out there so you go out there and some of the consequences of not being investment ready is just what you're saying bob i think is um you can get out there you can do a great sales job because that's your that's your role and convince this company to come back to your community and suddenly there's resistance um and a part of that is you know how big is that resistance is it one person is it your entire community does it become political um probably one of the best examples of that happening where it was a disaster was um amazon hq2 they went through that entire Um, process, they ended up landing on New York City as one of two cities in the U.S. um, where they were going to uh, split HQ2 um, and set up two divisions. I think one was in in South Carolina uh, and one, the other one was in New York City. And then um, they had a uh, a significant upsurge of resistance um, in New York City, including some political backlash around how they were facilitating that deal. And uh, Amazon ended up saying, sorry, New York, we're not coming in there because we don't feel welcome. Does everybody remember, anybody remember that experience? What a disaster that was. <laughs> I totally remember the whole thing, quite frankly. <laughs> You know, in a way, it was a bit of a disaster, even at the beginning, coming from um, 
from Amazon, but can you imagine landing Amazon in your city after all that work and your community rejecting, you know, <laughs> the victory? It's just like, talk about lack of alignment, <laughs> eh? Yeah. But I think, you know, we do look at the H2Q as something that was very negative, but you know, I think there was some positive that came out of it in terms of the community readiness. You know, so many communities who knew that there was no way they would ever have an opportunity to be successful in the bin still put together a proposal. And that proposal included a ton of data that they hadn't even contemplated pulling together before. So, you know, I think while there was absolutely the negative, you know, this competition among communities and what happened in New York and you know, even I think the overwhelming lift that our friends in Arlington, Virginia are having to go through to, you know, actually implement H2Q um, is huge. But I think that there was this benefit of enhancing community readiness across the country. I'm Laura Fritz and I'm done speaking. Laura, um, absolutely. And in fact, the city of Toronto, uh, which was a, a contender and, and a bitter uh, I mean, I don't work for them, so I don't follow their stats, etc. But they refer over and over again to their market readiness package where they had not really thought of the city as a regional, interconnected. And I don't know that they'd ever really assembled all the assets and data, to your point, and information. And I think they've attributed, you know, X millions of dollars and Y hundreds or thousands of jobs that they've got subsequently um, as a result of that market readiness. So, yeah, I mean, it's the yin and the yang, right? Yeah, brilliant. Um, uh, That was a great segue, Laura, because that really illustrated, you know, and that's a really big example. We've all had those smaller examples. I certainly have in my communities where I had been working for two and a half years with a proponent who was going to come in, um, and it was a it was a, a natural resource play. You know, not really big. It was using um, you know available existing resources in order to do you know granite and stone stone development for construction companies, but they were looking at a high end product in the outcome. But uh, and here was where I dropped the ball was they were going to use a road to get into their site which was in our, our community <clears throat> pardon me and uh, but the road was a dirt road that went through an adjacent community and there were residents along that road and this seems like a no-brainer um, but of course there was a backlash of people along that road thinking there's going to be all these industrial trucks coming down here and so we had to walk that whole project back and you know that was early on in my career um, and it was a good lesson for for me to really truly understand what that outreach meant how important it was to prepare the soil you know for that investment and understand how being investment ready as as Dan certainly indicated and you Laura um, really helps you to up your game around competitiveness and think about how do we develop that value proposition to talk about our assets you know in in that whole uh, toolbox that we we need to do that we need to develop as professionals Um, so the other part of you know the investment readiness is also uh, getting ready to facilitate that investment from a regulatory process yeah I've been in many clubhouse talks where we've talked about regulatory process and how do we streamline that cutting red tape and make it easier for developers to come in? How many of us have had experiences, for example, working with our our planning departments and our transportation departments? Um, I'd love to hear from anybody who can talk about an experience, uh, you know, where they they had to go through a process of streamlining you know, their, their facilitatory facilitatory processes in order to get the investment in. Leah, I actually have a, a slightly different example. So I'll share that. And if someone has a more precise example to your question, for sure. So um, 
unlike what you're talking about, we're actually undergoing, um, I'm going to call it a proactive exercise right now. Uh, we're in phase two of a three or four phase process. Uh, and our program is called Investor Service Excellence. So we're looking at the entire uh, process that's required for anybody to do an investment that requires some form of development. So building permits, planning, engineering, etc. And um, so we've engaged uh, the investment community. Uh, we've done a lot of work with our cross-functional teams and we're just uh, we're about a month and a half away from wrapping up phase two which will really say all right here's what the market is looking for including our internal market our internal uh, service team here are the tools that we've identified and here are some other resources that are probably required and then we're going to get into implementation I, I just want to share this idea came from um, not that it's a big idea, but uh, I, I was at a, uh, an event two years ago called Elevate, and a senior vice president at, uh, I think it was Hewlett Packard, said, I want to make it as easy as doing business with Hewlett Packard as it is to order a book from Amazon. And so that is kind of our North Star. And just one example I want to give you, because that's a big North Star, is imagine along the way, um, you get an email along every stage of approval or new information, just like Amazon gives you on tracking. So anyway, uh, not quite what you were asking, but that's what I had to share. I'm Dan and I'm done speaking. That's a great one, Dan. Thanks. Um, it's certainly aligned with that in terms of, you know, um, especially when as a community uh, you're looking at identifying and targeting key sectors um, so like you say what are what are the tools that you need to put into place to make sure it's easy that there's that soft landing process and sometimes it is that regulatory process so if we were to pursue um, and so where we the region that we're in agriculture we're one of the major food producers in this province uh, that feeds the world we export about 13 billion dollars worth of food every year to about 20 different countries including the US of course um, and uh, and Asia particularly with staples and um, one of the things that is really high on the city radar here is looking at how we continue to add value. So if we're looking at global populations of 10 billion by 2050, how do we increase global food production by at least 50% on shrinking footprints in the face of climate change um, and, and disruption? And so we want to look at, you know, increasing food production in, in, on smaller footprints with lower energy, lower carbon intensive processing, etc. Which means that as a city, we need to look at what's the regulatory process and land zoning. And, you know, Dan, you're talking about that soft landing. How do we make sure that we think through the process on behalf of the developer or the investor so that every step of the way it becomes a seamless process for them to land that investment. And that's, a, as we know, a big part of the investment readiness is, is just making sure that we're thinking through, you know, uh, those, those um, opportunities in terms of what they need from their side. So just wondering, would love to hear from you guys, um, and especially on the rural side. This is when you're dealing with uh, rural communities that have uh, very small budgets. You're one or two people trying to do a whole department worth of work. Um, there are <laughs> sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's more difficult in the smaller communities because everybody knows everybody. I know when I worked in rural areas, the only person that had a higher profile than me was the mayor. And so you can't go to the grocery store <laughs> without 
you know, people asking you questions and about projects and always being prepared with really good information is is one part of that. Um, but um, there are strategies, obviously, that you can use in order to facilitate that. I'd love to hear about that from anyone who's worked in the smaller rural areas. What about you, Will? You want to share any thoughts uh, and or Jimmy? Uh, a couple of, Will, I know you've, you've grown your portfolio, but you have a rural background and Jimmy, you've got a, a rural background. We'd love to hear from either one of you guys or both. Sure. Yeah, I can uh, start there, Dan. Thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, tagging me in there. Um, yeah, so Will George here uh, from British Columbia. Um, and uh, my background, uh, I'm coming from a community of about uh, 7,000 people in the BC interior, recently transitioned to a, uh, a position in uh, near Vancouver here. But uh, my previous experience was in uh, rural communities uh, for the last uh, seven or eight years here uh, communities ranging uh, smaller communities from you know a couple hundred people uh, to uh, to the community where I, I just transitioned from of um, you know around seven seven thousand people and I think just listening to the conversation so far something that really stands out to me is when you're in smaller communities I think Lee you had mentioned it that uh, you know everyone knows you at the grocery store and uh, everyone um, is you know is aware even when you're not working you're you're working and something I think uh, having that community mindset when you're doing um, business attraction and uh, ensuring that your community is investment ready um, I think of the exploratory visits the site selection that we were doing for uh, different uh, different companies looking to to come to uh, the rural communities that I was that I was working for and looking at it at a regional scale, uh, so ensuring that uh, they were building up all of the rural communities in our corridor, as well as making sure that all the partners are um, at the table, both the, you know, in correspondence, um, but also physically. So when we had a business that was looking to come um, for our industrial park, for example, um, I would make sure that uh, our local college, there would be uh, representatives there uh, from our local um, business loan um, association, from our chamber, um, you know, have the elected officials on board. So uh, the exploratory visits that we would do, uh, it wouldn't just be myself, it would be going and talking with the business owners uh, who are currently in the community, um, so then the, the businesses can uh, have, have that conversation. We can talk about cluster developments, and we can talk about labor force developments, and we can talk about the financing and everything like that. And uh, the businesses that are considering coming to the community can actually talk to current businesses that are working in that field. And those conversations are relationships that have built up over time. And it's, um, it's really a, a joint effort, bringing the partners together, making sure that people are aware of what you know, we're trying to attract, but also who we're bringing to the community for site selections and uh, have, having those conversations. And uh, Jimmy, I'd love to love to hear from you because you're uh, also lots of rural communities. So uh, Will George and I'm done speaking. Thank you. I'll jump in here, but you guys are all spot on and you're all saying the right things. Um, I just wanted to also comment, um, I think it, Laura, it was you who said it about the communities, they think that they're investment ready sometimes, but when you actually bring a project to the table, sometimes you realize they just don't completely understand that <clears throat> what that new investment is really doing for the community. They can understand it with the mom and pops, you know, if mom and pop is expanding or mom and pops need something that translates but this new bringing in the new and why it's so important doesn't always translate well um there's even though that's what we're that's what we're supposed to do and that's what they want us to do at the same time they push back sometimes without even knowing it so i'm constantly racking my brain on different ways to educate the community um so that they are more investment ready. And I won't say that I'm an expert by any means because right about the time you think you've got it, <laughs> you think you've accomplished it, um, and you bring a prospect in, you realize there's a learning curve. And you're like, wow, I thought I, thought I had these people up to speed. I thought we were good to go. So um, I'm always looking for new ways, but my, my 
recommendation is just a constant education. And I think, Dan, you said earlier about this email series. I like, I like the idea of that, um, sort of like your Amazon is tracking your package. You know, if you had a system like that where you're constantly sort of updating everybody at that level, that's a whole other level of um, kind of keeping people updated. And I think there's definitely some opportunity there. So I'm Jimmy, and I'm done speaking. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Lee, I'm wondering, and if I'm jumping the gun, please, please pull me back. Um, we opened up with, you know, strategy and what does market readiness mean? Uh, you've been talking about tools a little bit. What are the top three or five or handful of tools that you think are necessary once presumably there's a strategy and or people are more or less uh, on the same page? What, what kind of tools do you see as the most valuable uh, to implement, to attract investment once you're investment ready. I'm Dan and I'm done speaking. That's perfect, Dan. Thanks for that. So often, um, <laughs> and I don't want to sound like a, you know, pedantic, discipline-oriented economic development professional, but, you know, I have learned over the years myself and certainly with my colleagues that, um, one of the most important things you can do is just get out there in your community and, and get into that discipline of the business retention expansion uh, pieces uh, because um, very often investment, the majority of your investment in new jobs comes from your existing businesses. So that right there cuts out 50% of the friction of trying to attract new investment um, because those businesses and those companies are already part of your community. And so that's a really important one. And they're often the ones, particularly when you're building, you know, that, that sales funnel, your message messaging your champions who are the ones who are going to deliver that peer-to-peer -peer messaging to new investors. Their message to your new investors are the most powerful messages um, that are going to get traction for you with, with potential new investors or entrance into your local markets, um, no matter what sector it is. But you know, I, I, you can still always be surprised even with that. Now I'll give you, and, and Jimmy kind of uh, twigged me on this one where you think you're ready, you think you know stuff, but it's that thing where sometimes or very often we don't know what we don't know uh, because we haven't encountered uh, certain barriers and conflicts. And I'll give you an example of one where I worked in a major urban center and we were dealing with a company, you know, the best possible scenario you could have. A company's expanding, uh, they're in the right market, they're doing the right product. This company uh, was, uh, you know, a, a global top five supplier of uh, cycling clothing and apparel and, um, and uh, uh, related products for cyclists. And um, they were, growing and expanding. They needed a larger location and they found exactly the perfect location for them inside the city. Um, and unbeknownst to me, they had gone to the city for their planning processes to our city in the department and I thought they were well on their way. And then all of a sudden I got a note saying, why did company X move to city X? And I went, what? <laughs> I was quite shocked um, because we thought everything had been settled. But when I when I followed it up, um, it was an issue of the fact that they had too many employees for the number of parking spots for that building. And so the city uh, turned down their application uh, for a very minor um, uh, rezoning, a zoning amendment for that particular building. And it was shocking to think that here we have a cycling company where, you know, 70% of their employees cycled to work and didn't need parking. But our bylaw said they needed so many parking spots 
per number of employees. Now, this was, you know, probably 12 years ago. So since then, a lot of cities have learned that, hey, we should really support cycling and alternative methods of transportation. But um, even things like that for your internal processes are super important to have those in place. Um, in terms of your investment promotion toolbox, um, there's really four major pieces associated with that. And then you have all these little sub toolbox sections associated with these, of course. The first one is that investment readiness piece, first and foremost. Um, the second major piece is what is your investment branding and value proposition look like? What are the, the actual tools that you're using to tell your story and talk about your narrative? The third major piece is that promotion and attraction. And I'm just either you know, validating uh, probably what most of you know here, but that third major piece is what is the actual program, depending on your budget and, and your resources that you're levering to do the promotion and the attraction. And, and there's a fourth piece there that probably everybody here is, does this fairly well, uh, that sometimes we forget how important it is. This is especially valid for smaller communities and departments and organizations that don't have big budgets is amplification strategies um, through strategic partnerships. Um, uh, for example, working in a small community, there's no possible way you're gonna travel to, um, you know, and, and, and go on missions three or four four times a year, <coughs> pardon me, uh, to be able to go to other countries and target potential inbound companies. So you rely on your trade and investment team and your your provincial or your state or your national um, uh, you know consular corps and uh, trade commissioners in order to be able to do that for you so that's really extending yourself and your message and so that's your team and really thinking about that in different ways on how they are part of your team and making sure that they have all the tools that they need to sell your opportunity is a really important one so i hope that answered your question dan and and you know if there's any who has specific tools that they use and i know dan you do you're you're brilliant at this um uh, i'd love to hear more about it um yeah that's great i um i i absolutely agree with what you're talking about oh, my background is uh, agency marketing so a lot of what i like to do as well is package or paint pictures for folks so whether that's a website, you know, a, a wonderfully organized website with information or, um, you know, taking, uh, taking a cluster and packaging it. So, for example, um, in, um, well, actually, we, we're doing it right now. So in, uh, in Innisfil, we are literally creating a sector, <laughs> an ecosystem that didn't exist before because we felt we had to because... Uh, we're a we're a bedroom and commuter community that's grown tremendously over the last 20 years, and the and the economy is not caught up uh, uh, with the population growth, nor nor will it. So what we did is we ended up partnering, a different kind of partnership, but same along the same lines. I would call it leverage that you're talking about, Lee, is with uh, Ryerson University and their DMZ, which is the top-rated university-based accelerator uh, in the world. Uh, so like a great partner that way. And we created, um, we are creating uh, an, um, a startup, so a software tech-based startup ecosystem. And we're, we've, we're packaging it by having an acceleration space that is branded, to your point, um, that creates uh, human collision opportunities when COVID sorts its way out. We have the expertise and the training that's done remotely by um, DMZ and then we now have 25 startups in there that are in various stages of startups uh, there is a, a um, angel investment there will be venture capital and so we put that all in a, a website in a printed package we're actually doing direct marketing right now to 6,000 startups in the greater Toronto area um, and sharing with them the opportunity. So uh, I've done um, 
events and I've done uh, trails. It doesn't really matter what your product is, but I think identifying what your product or products are, packaging them. Uh, you know, my mantra that I learned a long time ago is easy to understand, easy to buy, easy to sell. Uh, and then bring that to the marketplace. Why don't I, uh, I'm Dan and I'm done speaking. Yeah, that's perfect. And, you know, so incredibly important of, of really being also honest and authentic about what you're doing. And I know we've had these conversations in this forum in the past and always want to applaud that because we've, you know, I've seen a lot of colleagues, including myself, when you have a little too much hubris. <laughs> and sometimes you can get carried away with your passion for what you're doing or what you're selling, but have a little too much hubris and oversell, you know, what it is that you're doing. And again, that's the danger. You can oversell, but you also better over deliver, which comes back to that whole, you know, investment preparedness thing and making sure that you've got your team ready on the ground when you do have a company coming in you want to show them your best side but it also has to be honest and it needs to be authentic and if that investor in my experience is is sincerely looking at your community as a an appropriate you know business case supported location for what they're trying to do they're going to understand that not everything's going to be perfect that you know especially with experienced business leaders they they know there's going to be glitches and if they know that you're there to facilitate solutions for them sometimes that's all they need is to know that you're on their side you're going to help them you know uh, continue with that seamless flow of progress you know through 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 the, the landing process, uh, creating that soft landing for them, uh, and that you're there to facilitate problems. Um, one of the most important things that we've ever done, for example, in terms of being prepared for these investments is uh, getting all the decision makers into one room with them, including your planning department, transportation, your provincial and state partners, and your, your national partners, and um, making sure that everybody's there, they're prepped, they have answers and solutions, um, you know, for your developer or your investor in that one room meeting um, where you can achieve uh, a whole bunch of your goals all at the same time. We've had some investors who said that was the best experience that they ever had was when they could walk into a room and everybody was ready for them. You know, uh, Lee, this is this is the thing that I'm not sure we're great at, at yet in, as a profession is um, we're often, you know, municipalities by design are inward looking and economic development by design is outward looking. And there's a bit of a culture clash there. And um, so this idea of not only getting folks on the same page, you know, strategically and philosophically, but to your point, literally on the same page, meaning have all the key decision makers either in the same room or hopefully like we're doing an investor service excellence, which is just an alignment and process. Uh, it, it also doesn't waste the investor's time. Ultimately, it makes the municipality a more competitive, but also a more compassionate place from which to do business. And probably some good cross-functional learning too. You know, as economic developers, we are usually um, type A, uh, entrepreneurial, sales-oriented, and in a hurry to make things happen. And municipalities are not designed that way. They're, they're bureaucracies, they're about process, about, you know, check marks and decision-making. So, um, but I think, you know, having alignment and, um, the best kind of intercommunication you can have is a big part of investment ready. And I, I'd be curious to hear what uh, Lara or, or, or Will or, or, or Jimmy or others, what their experience is. I mean, do you agree that we're, we have a long way to go or I'm sure we're getting better, I think, but I, I think, yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear. It looks like April also would like to chime in there. Yes, thank you, Lee. And um, yes, my name is April, and I feel like um, 
you know, what resonated with me a little bit with what Dan had uh, mentioned about, you know, camaraderie and uh, communication with everyone. Um, I also sit on um, our city municipal uh, planning and zoning board, which I believe that I am going to be stepping down because I started in this new role um, last week as an economic development director. Um, so I feel like I'm in this in this clubhouse. Uh, I'm gonna consider Dan, Lee, Bob, Laura, Will, Jimmy, Aaron. Everybody's gonna like be my mentor and coach uh, <laughs> at this point going through the process. But you know, and as it relates to my the role that I played on the planning commission, um, what I saw a lot of times is you know there were some developers that were um, friendly, um, neighbor friendly, you know be kind and be good to your neighbor, especially if you're deciding, you know, you want to build something in the back of their yard. Um, some of them, you know, um, would definitely reach out to the civic associations and in those particular communities. And they would have a community meeting before even their project would even come before us. And then there were times when, you know, developers would just, you know, submit their application um, uh, the planning commission, you know, had uh, a rule that, you know, they would, you know, notify um, residents or businesses in a particular mile radius that that um, uh, develop particular development would uh, impact. And then when that developer did not have a community um, kumbaya or let's see, you know, how we can work together to because, you know, this is the impact that, you know, the developer wanted to bring in the community, then you would have the whole, you know, that, that area city, they would galvanize together and they would come and either speak out against it or sometimes we were able to, you know, settle in the planning commission and say, hey, well, let's defer this project for, you know, um, 30, 60 days and allow the developer to meet with these particular civic associations. And then sometimes they would work out the kinks and then come back and then we um, uh, saw successful projects um, and some, some didn't. So it just depends sometimes on, you know, the developer that is coming in and is he, you know, neighbor neighbor friendly and and that's what most um communities want they don't just want you to come in their community and take over they they want to feel like they're a part of the process as well so my i'm april and i'm done speaking thank you oh that's fantastic april and congratulations on your new role and yeah i i'm probably pretty feeling pretty confident about speaking for the rest of the team here please reach out to anyone here for <laughs> support <laughs> even if you just need to talk through some things sometimes it's it's really helpful and i encourage that of all my colleagues to do um uh, but that's a really key one and i think is the perfect example that speaks to what we're seeing here is making sure that you know you have those relationships and sometimes you have to do it's like managing upwards and managing downwards we also have to manage and coach our developers uh, and investors coming in, you know, and prepare them for where they might get some areas of resistance and when and how to respond and when not to respond. And, you know, I think that coaching because of our familiarity with our community is is just as important as coaching inward but like dan said you know edos we look outward our municipality looks inward sometimes we're a square peg in a round hole because it's an entrepreneurial role inside of uh often uh, unless you're a separate organization but you're still reporting to um, a municipal body so sorry laura i think you were going to say and add to that too yeah, and I think Dan's absolutely right. You know, it is difficult to be the entrepreneur in a bureaucratic entity, but I think there's also an opportunity because you do come in with a little bit of a fresh perspective and, you know, are able to gather. I think, you know, one of the most important tools that we have as economic developers is our ability to convene 
stakeholders, our ability to convene internal departments. And so, Lee, I loved when you said, you know, make sure everyone's around the table at that meeting. And for larger projects, one thing that I've done through my career is taken it one step further. Not only do we gather people around the table, but we align, outline exactly when a company can expect to meet certain deadlines. So whether it's incentives, permitting, sewer and water, roads, whatever it happens to be to make that development happen, we give them an estimated timeline so that there is some management of expectations because I think that's also a big challenge for economic developers is that you know developers come in and just magically think that because they've walked in with a project, we can turn it around in two days. And, you know, many of these processes have to go through a public vetting process and have to be approved by boards and city councils. And all of that takes time. And so one of the most important roles as economic development professionals we can play is the role of managing expectations. And so by outlining a timeline for the developers, that has proven to be incredibly successful and a way that we've actually won projects. I'm Laura Fritz and I'm done speaking. Gosh, that, that's a really critical one. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, something that just, I, I wanted to bring up to the group when we're talking about um, these, these relationships and the, the comment of economic developers being the outward facing um, compared to other city staff, whether it's uh, you know planning staff or other departments, uh, more inward facing around the process. A question I'd like to pose to the group is, um, how many around the table have conversations with maybe their planning departments, public works, uh, different divisions, um, and the developers at an early stage before they submit their applications and I and I'm not referring to um, here is why you should come to the community and here is you know everything we can do for you but more around the process around here are timelines here are things to consider uh, I I've noticed in different communities that those that have those detailed um, you know here is the uh, permit that you need to submit and here is the step-by-step -step and, and having that initial meeting whether it's for half an hour or an hour with multiple departments that are there um, or information from multiple departments uh, there's not as much um, you know your your approval or your uh, your application uh, needs these drawings and you need this and this and the back and forth that uh, that can sometimes occur if that um, that meeting doesn't doesn't happen so wanting to put that out to the group to hear everyone's responses here and Will, when I mentioned um, that timeline, we actually did that before they even submitted a project. Um, the other thing, and that was for very large projects that we would lay out that timeline. For smaller projects on a weekly basis, we had a pre-submission meeting um, where any plan reviewer that was going to touch that plan, whether it was the fire marshal or the building uh, code person, uh, we put them in a room and had them review the plans prior to submission to red flag anything before it got into the system. That was really critical in being able to expedite our timelines because one, we knew that the project was coming in, we knew what to expect, and two, we were looking out for the things that we had already flagged. And so it was just a really great way to streamline and I know that's not innovative. More and more communities across the country are doing uh, pre-submission meetings. But if you aren't, it really is an important way to help your friends in the permitting department, but also, again, in helping to manage expectations with the company. Having um, good plans come in is a great way to get a project through the process quickly. I'm Laura Fritz and I'm done speaking. Hey folks, if I could just interject, this is an amazing, amazing conversation. I'm willing to bet $100 none of you realize we are almost at the end of time because it's been flowing and going so, so well. So, wow. Uh, 
Yeah, time flies. So Lee, I want to hand it back to you, but really quick, I want to just um, let everyone know before we end the session about our, our next week's sessions. Lara, do you know what we have on deck for next week? And one of our speakers is in the room. Oh, well, we're so excited. Um, we have a couple of things happening next week. So on Friday, this Friday the 17th, we are going to be um, joined by Brian Daniels, who is on the host committee for the IEDC annual conference. He's going to share a little bit about what to expect at the conference. Um, we're then going to talk about events and economic development. Uh, I know everyone is challenged with how do I do an event right now, so we're going to talk that through. Um, then on Wednesday, the 22nd, we're going to talk circular economy. Um, and so thank you, Bob, for getting that session set up. And then Friday, it looks like we're going to um, be having a conversation on new to economic development, um, as well as diversity and economic development. And of course, our Friday sessions are at 3 p.m. They're group chats. So we encourage you to come and join us for that conversation. And then on Wednesdays, those are informational sessions starting at noon. So thank you. I'm Laura Fritz and I'm done speaking. Thank you, Laura. Yes, really excited that Aaron is in the audience for this week. I believe we'll uh, include Alia in the discussion for uh, new entrance of so that's perfect. Lee, I don't want to stop the room, uh, but I did want to get that out in case there are some people that are happy to leave. So I'm going to hand it back to you. If you want to continue to chat, please feel free to do so. I may have to sneak out. Um, or if we end the room, I'll leave that to you, Lee. So let me allow it. Let me uh, hand it back to you. Super. Thanks so much, Bob. Really appreciate that. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left. So um, just a thought, if anybody is interested in this full checklist, you know, uh, message me separately and I'm happy to share it. It's a it's a pretty extensive list um, and it covers off a whole bunch of pieces and some of them are no brainers for, for us when we think about it. And some are little things that, gee, you know, I never thought about that. Um, you know, one of them is the ampli amplification pieces. How do I how do I lever, you know, my provincial and my federal contact so when we think about getting everyone in the room and getting them prepped that includes our state you know uh, and our national governments particularly when it involves uh, any regulatory process that uh, that is you know has a relationship to those levels of government so I'm more than happy to share that are there any final thoughts around the room around you know what does it mean to be investment ready for your community because we know that without that critical piece of very purposeful thinking sometimes we can uh you know unconsciously sabotage our own efforts in our community any final thoughts lee maybe uh i'm gonna do a, a, a brief summary and please build on so what i heard is get in touch with your community uh your businesses understand your assets through that uh or hopefully build some level of consensus and some kind of strategic plan. Maybe split your efforts into two, business retention expansion being part of the strategy, attraction being the other, and having some key tools, including um, visiting your businesses, learning their needs, assisting them directly, and then having other tools that package opportunities and bring those opportunities to the marketplace. I'm Dan, I'm done speaking. I'm sure there's more and would love to hear any builds. That's a perfect summary, Dan, and thank you for that. And there's one final thing that we didn't get to touch on today, and that is that, dig that digital tools. And um, what does that mean? How does, you know, using a CRM, which can sometimes be really onerous on the learning curve, but over time, how does how do your digital tools, including your social media digital tools, really help to create efficiencies? And I know that's an entire different clubhouse talk that we've had in the past, and I'm sure we'll continue to have in the future, but uh, a really vital one in terms of creating efficiencies, and that includes data collection, our website, how we organize our information, etc. And that's a whole separate piece. Lara, I'm going to pass it over to you. 
And that's almost a whole other session. So maybe we should come back and talk about is your community technology <laughs> ready? <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. I, I put it in our notes, Laura. I put it in the Excel sheet. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, because that's really important as we're, you know, we are in the digital era. And what does that mean for us in our work? And, you know, I think we could probably find some fantastic examples of how, um, you know, some of our top performing economic development uh, uh, partners and, and colleagues are really levering those digital tools in order to achieve their goals. Wonderfully, wonderful. Thank you again, Lee, for leading such, such an amazing conversation. I, I say this at, at the end of almost every session, <laughs> but I, I learned so much. And so we are so grateful that you took the time out to really lead this conversation. And of course, to everyone else in the room who contributed, uh, really, really appreciate your thoughts on the subject for sure. My pleasure. I love having these conversations and especially, you know, just learning, um, building on my own knowledge and learning and sharing. So thank you very much. So with that, and I think we'll sum up the room. I think we'll sum, sum up the room. Sorry, I guess we'll close up the room because uh, I just want to be respectful of everyone's time. Uh, and again, just a reminder, as Laura had shared earlier, we are back here 3 p.m. Eastern for, for an amazing conversation around IEDC's conference and events and economic development. So I really hope to see, first of all, I hope to see our team back together again, which would be lovely, but no pressure. But I hope to see everyone here as well join us. And again, feel free to invite any of your colleagues in the economic development space who are also struggling with uh, events or uh, trying to manage events. Thank you one and all for being here. Thanks all. Thank you, Thanks, everyone. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.